Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. The art of a costume designer is to tell a story without saying a word. So let's get this straight right from the start. Hollywood costume designer Mary Vogt has spoken volumes over her impressive career, one that is filled with spellbinding sartorial stories that have stood the test of time. Because let's face it, it doesn't get more iconic than having the ensembles that you design for a film become tentpole cosplay outfits and Halloween costumes for generations. Mary is the mind behind the amazing costumes in the staple Halloween film Hocus Pocus that starred Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker. She's also the woman who came up with Michelle Pfeiffer's unforgettable Catwoman suit in Batman Returns. And she made I Make This Look Good, Will Smith, and the rest of the Men in Black team look sharp and sleek over the span of the three MIB films. And for those of you who are more interested in fashion-focused feature films, well, then you can thank Mary for bringing you Crazy Rich Asians, arguably the most fashion-loving film in recent memory, filled with one unforgettable designer outfit after another. From a very young age, Mary knew that being a costume designer was her calling. While everyone else in her theatrical hometown of Long Beach, Long Island wanted to be an actor and stand center stage in the local theater troupe, Mary was only interested in creating costumes. After high school, she attended the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, and then later she went on to the Arts Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. She quickly realized that instead of being a traditional fashion designer, her creativity was sparked by a good story or character, which she could then build a wardrobe around. Mary got her toe in the door in Hollywood as a sketch artist, and then eventually got her first big break working alongside Bob Ringwood on David Lynch's epic film, Dune, and would work with Ringwood again later, but this time as his co-designer on Tim Burton's Batman Returns. And we all know what costumes came out of that collaboration. With close to 50 costume designer film credits under her belt, Mary's at the top of any Hollywood director's list. Her expert ability to use clothing to help her directors advance their story or the underlying message they want to subconsciously communicate with their audience is highly sought after. All you have to do is take a look at her most recent collaboration with Gina Prince-Brithwood, the director of the Netflix film The Old Guard, that drops today on the streaming platform to understand just how skilled Mary is at telling stories with clothing. Just on a technical side note, I did want to let all you listeners know that Mary and I did our interview over Zoom video, so don't be surprised by a couple of very minor audio issues. And if you happen to be more of a visual learner, feel free to head over to my signature YouTube channel to watch the video version of this podcast in action. And now, it is time for Mary to come out from behind the curtain and take a well-deserved bow under the spotlight and at center stage of this podcast. Mary, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you speaking with me today all the way from Los Angeles. Oh, it's really, I'm really excited to speak with you about it in Paris. It's, uh, it's already, already my day is glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> I was really surprised to learn when I was researching um, before we sat down to talk was that you actually loved costume design from like an early age, like 10 or 11. You were already, you already knew what you wanted to be. Oh. I, I mean, that's just a dream for me. Well, I grew up in this town called Long Beach, Long Island, which is like a beach town. But it's like 45 minutes from Manhattan. And a lot of the people that moved to Manhattan, to Long Beach, 
were like ex-Broadway stars or wannabe Broadway stars. So we were always putting on plays in people's backyards, on the beach, you know, at the local church and the school. And being actors, nobody wanted to do the clothes. And I didn't want to be an actor. I just thought, oh. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll do the clothes. And, and since nobody wanted to do it, I always had a job, even though it was a free job. But it was really fun. And they, nobody thought anything of the fact that I was like 10 or 12. They were just like, you know. But the thing that it was such a good experience, because a lot of my um, actors, like my teachers at school, so like, it's a weird experience when you have your third grade teacher saying, how does my butt look in this dress? <laughs> so you get this you know, at a young age, I, I sort of learned to deal with people mm-hmm. in an interesting way that you would, which I would never thought had anything to do with clothes, but that's actually dealing with the personalities is, is more involved than the actual design. The design is the easy, fun part, the, the getting people to wear it. <laughs> and because when you're designing for a movie, you know, you're there to help the actors. It's really, it's about the actors and and working within the director's vision of the film. So, you know, I may have an idea for something and then you present it to the actor and, you know, half of it, at least half of it comes from them. It's like there, so you're collaborating, you're constantly collaborating on an idea for a film with the actor and then, of course, the director. And hopefully you and the director have a plan before you talk to the actor. If you don't have your own plan going together, then it's just chaos. So you have to, you have to, they have to have that interpersonal skills that, you know, people person skills as much as all of the other stuff if you want to be a costume designer. Right, because friends of mine who are costume designers, like the most, I would have to say, the most talented people, costume designers, left the business because they could not stand <laughs> dealing with the personalities. And I just thought, well, I, I get that because, you know, it can be tricky. And because I started, you you know, doing clothes for my teachers in grammar school, I sort of got used to, you know, how people are going to react to clothes. Mm-hmm. And I don't take it personally because it's not personal. How do you set the stage then when you're prepping to, to present, you know, costumes to a Beth Midler or a, a Michelle Pfeiffer right. or a Charlize Theron? I mean, how right. do you... Well, it's different now than it was like with Bed or with Catwoman because now the technology is so, so amazing. What I do now is when I was working with Charlize and she's very organized, the planner, she loves to plan. So I would send her images ahead of time, or even with Gal too. Like, you know, you send, even if you, usually you're dealing with their own assistants, you send them pictures and then they send them to the person mm-hmm. and then you get reaction from them. So then you've got a little bit of a, a heads up for the direction you're going in. If you wait to the first fitting, and present like we used to do. It kind of doesn't work anymore. Interesting. Because, well, actually, I want to I want to go back and hear more about the, the the inception or the beginning of the career. But I did want to ask you because I know you've done with Charlize and you've done the Long Shot, and then you're uh, the new movie, The Old Guard, that's coming out. Oh, I think trailer did you see it? yeah i saw the trailer it's really good she's really yeah. you know dark she's such a great action figure almost i don't know how to i mean action star she's she's impressive but what i wanted to ask you was what is it like to work with somebody on multiple films like that does it be, there become a shorthand or how does that work when you get to have that yeah, kind of opportunity it definitely, definitely helps because the first time i worked with Charlize, she was a little more cautious you know like of course as you would be But then when you get to know them a little better and know how they like to work and what they expect, then it makes it a lot easier. Because I know with Charlize, she likes to know what she's doing. Mm -hmm. You know, she likes to have everything kind of planned out. And other actors, they prefer to decide at the last minute, like more of a free-for-all, which is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I mean, I prefer the planning actors. I can <laughs> imagine. I, yes, can it, imagine. it makes it so much. It makes it so much better. But at least if you've done another film with someone, you kind of know how they like to work and what they expect, so you can plan a little bit better. And all right. So then let's go back again. So you're you're the costume director for all of your teachers at school. Then you right. head off to the next step. It's FIT, and then the Art Center College of Design. So right. you knew what your path was going to be. It was funny when I went to Fashion Institute in New York, I thought I would go into fashion. Because mm. I love fashion, even though I had grown up doing you know, plays. And then when I started working in fashion, I didn't like it. I just thought, ugh, this is so like, who cares? Why, what was it? Why didn't you like well, fashion? Because I think it's because I missed having a script. I didn't understand why this dress was so important. You know, I, I felt like I needed to have a reason for doing it. And my friend, I had a lot of friends in fashion and they were so excited about every shoe that came out and every dress that came out. And I thought, you know, I don't feel that way. If you're not excited about something, it's really impossible to do it. Oh, absolutely. It's such a creative space. If you're, if you're yeah. not being inspired, forget it. So I would see how my friends were so excited. And I just, you know, I just thought, well, this is not for me then. Because I can't, you know, if you're not excited, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I'll go back to school. And that's when I went to Art Center. And when I was in Art Center, a friend of mine got a job, offered a job at MGM, when it was still MGM, before it was Sony doing illustrations for a movie and he didn't want to do it because a lot of real illustrators kind of look down on fashion illustration because they yes. have this no ugly stepchild i know ugly stepchild and he said well you like fashion why don't you do it and i was like really i said you know i'm not japanese i'm not a boy do you think they'll notice the difference <laughs> And he, said, <laughs> and he said, no, they don't care. Just show up. So I went in his, his place. And yeah, he was right. They didn't care as long as you could draw. So um, that's why I got my first job, like being somebody else, basically. Well, then how did it pivot from illustration into, I think, what your first film were you, was it Dune? Were you working with Bob River, Riverwood? Is it yeah, that kind um, right? Ringwood? Yeah, I think I had done, I had worked as an assistant before, you know, I had started working as an assistant mm -hmm. for other designers before that mm -hmm. because, you know, I was an illustrator, but I was also, I had this experience as a child doing, being the costume designer. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I met with some people, like I met with like a kind of a big shot person at um, Warner Brothers and the, this guy, Grady Hunt, who was, ran the wardrobe department. And he looked at my portfolio and he said, oh, well, you should just be a designer. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good, but... <laughs> I already know that's not what I want to do, yeah. But a uh, costume designer. So um, I thought, well, no, I think I need to have a little more confidence and experience, and I'd rather be an assistant. Oh, I see. So I applied to different designers to be their assistant. So, because when you're an assistant, you can kind of see what's going on and not be in the direct line of fire, and which, you know, so I felt like I wanted to really sort of learn. And I was an assistant for like seven years, which I don't recommend to anyone. You don't really need to do it that long. <laughs> okay, that's interesting, because a, a lot of fashion designers, when I talk to them, those that are, are now have started their brands and, you know, and are 10 years in or whatever, the independence, a lot of them really recommend spending a good 10 years, you know, moving, going to different houses and learning different things. But you don't think that's the case for costume design? You can really kind of jump in, not almost immediately, but sooner? Yeah, I think you can. Because, you know, it's a little, the film business is a little bit, I guess, more of a free-for-all than fashion, which is a real business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a little more like the Wild West in, in movies. So, and you get directors who come right out of school. Okay. Yeah. Well, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. How do you, 
I mean, you're at a, at a point in career, I and mean, you have the, the, the most amazing catalog of films that you've worked on. How do you decide at this point what job you want to take? Is it the director? Is it the story? Is it the period of the costumes? What's the thing that makes you go, all right, I'm going to spend my energy and time on this? Well, it's kind of all those things. And it's very interesting because the, when I started in the business, you got a very different type of director. Huh. Like when I started, the directors were more like, they were editors and then they became directors or they were cameramen, they became directors, they were first ADs, they became, so they sort of went up the chain in film business because there was like NYU and there were a few film schools, but they weren't really, I mean, people didn't get trained in school, they got trained more in the business. It was very different because they, the directors knew the business. They knew everyone's job. And the directors now come out of film school and they're, they're more, art, I think they're kind of a little more artist, creatively artistic, but it's a very different. Does it, is it, are you left more to your own devices now in that way? Because they're, they're so focused on that. They're, they know excellence in their role and that they hire excellence in other places. They don't, is that what no, you're saying? You would think that would be the case, but it's just the opposite. <laughs> You would think, but now, no, the people are very hands-on and, and, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because they, I think it's because the directors that I've worked with recently, you know, the past 10, 15 years that have been the product of film school, they see the whole, they have a whole vision mm -hmm. for the film. They, everyone's part of their vision. It's not like I do my thing, the project design does something else, someone else does something else. There's sort of, they're more like see the whole thing as one art piece. And maybe that's something they learn in school or when they do their thesis films. And it's more of a holistic kind of thing than separate pieces, like I felt like it used to be. I think it's kind of better. You could say they're both different. I don't know what's better. It's important to like the director you're working with now because you're working very closely with them. It's not like before that you could kind of do your own thing a little bit. Now you really are working under their the parameters of their vision for the film. And that seems to be pretty much everyone I've worked with, you know, in the past 10 years. And it's it's their movie. What, for, for you, as far as the process is concerned, other than that great people-person communication aspect, I mean, what do you love most about the process? I mean, is it the... Is it the, the prep, the research? Is it the actual pulling together the pieces, the calling up the Versace's and getting a piece made, those kind of a thing? What part of it? Is it watching it on screen? Where, where do you well, get your what, It's funny, my favorite part is when it's over. <laughs> and you go to the movie theater, we used to go to the movie theater, and you watch it or, you know, now you watch it another way. Or in daily, I love watching dailies. Oh yeah? Like, yeah, because then you see it finished and you see it on an actor, in the right lighting, in the set, and you can see how it works in the scene. Sometimes when it's not a good costume and it doesn't work, it's like, oh my God. You can really see it stick out like a sore thumb. Yes, but when it works and when it's good and when it, it's a costume that contributes to the character, then then it's very, then it's really exciting. I've heard for you, for you, one of the things that I've heard is that you really use color as a way of really identifying or bringing an emotion, an extra layer of subtext to well, the different things exactly, you Exactly, like, Going back to talking with the director about what the tone of the film is going to be, like if um, if it's a light comedy, like Crazy Rich Ex Crazy Rich Asians had um, a very distinct color palette to it, and then the the old guard that um, with Charlize had a very distinct color palette. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, it's like if you look at the paintings you have in back of your in back of you, they all have a very distinct color palette. 
It's like you wouldn't take, you know, a Renaissance painting and take colors from an Andy Warhol painting and put it in the Renaissance painting. So it's the paint, the film has to be consistent mm -hmm. unless for some reason there's a scene that is deaf is not supposed to be consistent. But the color palette, I think, is the most important thing. And it depends. I mean, I've always loved color and like to use it a lot. Like in, when we did Hocus Pocus, the, the, the witches would be in color. Yeah. And which worked because it was a comedy, it was bet, and so you could go over the top. Mm -hmm. And then, but the old guard was, so that was like really sort of like uh, saturated color. Mm -hmm. And then the old guard, which at least is more black, white, and grays. Yeah, I noticed that. It's a very, yeah, it's very urban, cement, you know, cityscape kind of colors. The only one who's in any color is the, the Nile character, who, the younger immortal, who's mm -hmm. in this you know green and white like baseball type jacket because she's supposed to be the young one and she's not in the group she's kind of like on the outside mm -hmm. so she looks a little you know not in the group yet yeah she hasn't she hasn't lost the color hasn't faded from her yet let's say um what looking over your body of work what do you think you've become known for would you say is there a signature mary like we recognize your work or is the whole point that we don't quote unquote, recognize your work? I think you don't recognize, you know, hopefully you don't recognize it. You know, it, you wanted to relate to the characters that whatever it is, it helps the character, you know, creating their character, mm -hmm. that it looks right, that it's, it's not inappropriate or it's not over the top or it's not a caricature, that it, it looks correct for what it is and hopefully adds a little bit more to it. But you don't want it to stand out in an odd way. Like the costumes have to be integrated with the characters in the film. They can't stand out by themselves unless that's part of the character. I mean, again, researching before we, we spoke, I noticed that, you know, so I'm, you know, you did Hairspray Live, Hocus Pocus, one of the ones I love the most, Batman Returns, All the Men in Blacks, you know, The Old Guard, you know, a lot of movies where the clothing, the, the costumes really have an important role to play. It, they don't feel like something that's a backdrop at all. They do seem to have a central role to a certain extent to play. I think that that's something I, I seem to see through your the body of your work, really, that they, it's an important role. I mean, Crazy Rich Asians, you must have had so much fun. I mean, that the, the costumes and that, the wedding dress, and I mean, everything was quite an extraordinary. One of the things is that you, when you're doing a costume, you have to make sure the actor, like the costume isn't bigger than the actor. Like it doesn't overpower the actor. Like, you know, working with that, it would be impossible to do a costume that was bigger than her. Absolutely. Because she'll always come above it. Yeah. So that's why you could do something a little over the top and still, you know, look realistic because the actor can carry it. And like in Crazy Rich Asians, it was pretty much the same thing. And in any film, it's the same. You have to sort of do, you know, there's some costumes that an actor can't carry. Because they just don't have the per their personality does it doesn't suit them. You know, if you're doing like if Meryl Streep was playing um, Bette Midler's part in Hocus Pocus, well, then she could do anything. Yeah, but, I'm sorry, that's not a good example. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, someone as another actor who was more who preferred to do something more subtle, then then you would do you would do something to suit them. Well, talk to me a little bit more about Hocus Pocus because when that came out, I mean, it's it's well known fact that it's you know, flopped and people, and but it's had this, you know, grassroots love affair with it. But at the time when it came out, it was a flop. And I always kind of like to ask the people I interview, when you go through your career, if you look back at a moment where you made a misstep or something was not well received, how do you bounce back from that? And I was wondering, you know, you had put so much energy and it was such a great, you know, costume rich film and then to have it so poorly received at the box office, but then of course beloved later, 
at that moment, though, how did you pivot or react to that? I went to a screening of that movie at Disney, you know, of like executives and their kids and all. And in the middle of the film, when the cat dies, you know, when they think the cat dies, he gets run over by a car. All the kids, little kids in the theater started crying. Oh, my God. And then the executives are saying, oh, well, this is not a Disney movie. This this is not going to work for us. No. And I just thought, well, that's it. They're just not going to promote it. And they just, they don't like it because the kids are crying. And I said, that's over. And pretty much that's what happened. They didn't promote it. They, they didn't like the film because their kids cried. And so it didn't really have a, a life until it went on television but it didn't really bother me so much because I had had like a big disappointment like like a couple years earlier like well, 20 years ago, when I was the assistant costume designer on Dune and really? we thought that was going to be fantastic we uh-huh. thought that was going to be great because because I was on it for so long and there was so much work and we thought the clothes were so great and you know the sets were amazing the actors were amazing we thought well, this is going to be the biggest film and then it was terrible <laughs> We went to a screen. It was funny because we went to a screening at Disney, which I don't know why, because it's a universal film. So we went to the screening at Disney, which I think was actually the same theater that I saw Hocus Pocus in. And I saw the film and it was terrible. I couldn't believe it. I said, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I said, how is this possible? Because I had seen like the editor showed me and Bob Ringwood, who was the costume designer on it. They showed us like a six hour version of Dune in Mexico. And it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely, and it was gorgeous. And then when I saw this cut version, I just thought, oh, my. And so I was really disappointed because I thought it was going to be like the greatest film ever and look gorgeous and, and, you know. Well, I mean, time, I mean, it's definitely been influential, just like Hocus Pocus in its own way, that as far as costume design, it definitely has stood the test of time, that film. Another costume I have to ask you about is Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman. I mean, if... Hocus Pocus is something that everybody, you know, rents out at at, Holly, at Halloween. I got to say Catwoman's costume is another top tier choice for a lot of people. Tell me a little bit about how that came about, because that one is so iconic as well. Well, it was, you know, because that character had been portrayed many times on different with different people. And so, you know, Bob Ringwood and I did the movie together as co-designers. And we looked at all the iterations of Catwoman. And so we thought, well, you know, she should be black and shiny. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the main thing, black and shiny. At that time, there was a really um, wonderful latex. He made costumes out of latex called uh, Andy Wilkes, who had this uh, shop called Siren in Los Angeles. And, you know, we said, can you make us, you know, I did sketches for it. And I said, could you make this costume, which is basically a jumpsuit, you know, a little latex jumpsuit, which he makes with his eyes closed. So he was, you know, we did a body cast of Michelle, and a plaster body cast. Now you do laser, but we did plaster. And so he made the suit on this, you know, plaster, on this body cast of her. So it fit absolutely perfectly. And then we made boots and gloves and had the calamate. And we, we thought it was fun. You know, Bob and I thought, wow, this is a fantastic costume. And we showed it to the director, Tim Burton. He was like, yeah, it's nice, fine. But I wanted to have white stitches. And we were like, what? White stitches on our beautiful, black, shiny, perfect costume? And he said, yeah, I wanted to have stitches. I want to be like the calico cat, which is like a children's book. Like this cat that has to be stitched up. And we thought, well, maybe he'll forget he said that. <laughs> maybe, we'll like, maybe we'll like ignore that and we'll, pre- we'll pretend it never happened. So then like a week later, and we showed him like the black, shiny costume again. He was like, yeah, this is great, but where are my, where are my stitches? 
And we thought, okay, well, we got to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was latex, so you can't, you know, you can't make holes in it. You know, it just rips. So um, we had someone uh, sculpt, because we had a lot of sculptures on the movie. So somebody sculpted stitches out of rubber. You know, they sculpted the stitches and then cast them. And we made like these little strips that had like stitches and, you know, painted, someone painted the stitches white. And then we glued the stitches all over the costume, you know, where, where Tim wanted the stitches. Oh my God. And he wanted the three stages, like, you know, closed stitches and sort of open and then very open. So it was actually a very elaborate process. So we made this costume with the glued stitches on. And in person, it looked terrible. It was so horrible because it, you could see the glue around the stitches all over. And it was just an absolute mess. But on film, you know, Michelle got the costume on. She was painted with liquid silicone. When it was photographed, you didn't see any of the lines around the stitches. And it just looked fantastic. I know when Bob and I went to his test screening of the costume for the first time, we thought, oh my God, is that our hideous costume? It looks fantastic. <laughs> So we were like really surprised that it turned out so good. That's why when you see the film, the um, the costume in um, like museums or, you know, it, it always looks terrible. <laughs> it always looks terrible. In fact, that was one of the most disappointing things. I It was being exhibited at a um, big museum in New York, you know, the Metropolitan. Mm-hmm. And we were so excited that, and then we saw the costume and it just looked awful because they didn't put the silicone on it. So you could see all the lines around it. Oh, it was just terrible. Because the only time I would say the costume looked good in person is that we did a, a Christmas show at Macy's, like the year after the movie came out. And we built a special mannequin for the costume and put it on and then we coated it with silicone. So when you coat it with silicone, you don't see all that glue around everything. So it looked good, but it's never looked good being exhibited. Never. It always looks awful. So a, a terrible costume that turned out to, to be an iconic, wonderful piece of cinematic history, really. That is the problem with costumes when you exhibit them because they're usually made for film mm. and they're designed to look good on film. They're not designed to look good in person. Well, talk to me a little bit about that. That's a really interesting point. How? What is the difference between looking good on film and looking good in person. I mean, that, that's an interesting point. The lighting, you're going to light the way things are lit and if it's going to be at a certain setting in a certain room. And a lot of, you know, if you look at fashion clothes like um, Givenchy show or Dior, they'd have big Dior show in, in, when I was in England. And the clothes are gorgeous. And, you know, they, uh, Alexander McQueen, I mean, the gorgeous clothes. And you can, you can look at them with a microscope or they look fabulous. Film clothes are not, the attention to detail is not as precise. I mean, maybe that's why you have to, if you're going to work at Dior, you have to be an apprentice for 10 years. So you can do all that really super, super fine work. In film costume, you don't, that, you don't really have that super fine work very often. Mm-hmm. You know, occasionally you do. But it's more the camera, when you, particularly have a good cinematographer. I mean, a good cinematographer can make anything look great. Mm-hmm. When you have like really great lighting, it can make things look a lot better then they actually look in person. That's really interesting. I wanted to, well, that brings me to another question is, do you have a period? I mean, because again, I was looking at your career and it doesn't feel like you have like a, a niche per se of like, I love all Renaissance or like you have a, a period of time that you like, that you particularly like to tap into for your designs. It feels like you have a really broad overarching, but I'm wondering, do you absolutely love the 80s or is there something, is there a particular time that you have affinity for? No, I think it's more like, I don't like things that are like right out of history books. 
I'd rather do like an interpretation of a period rather than be like, like I, the example, I can't think of an example in my own work, but in, in, in someone else's work, um, in, like in Shakespeare in Love, that's not exactly that period. It's an interpretation of that period, but it's like done really, really fantastically well. And, you know, I like that when things are not exactly the period, but it's, it's like a heightened sense of that period. That yeah, would be really that's Shakespeare in Love that was quite interesting. It felt yeah. it felt of the of our times, and yet you knew it was from that era, and there was an interesting mix. Yeah, and I, I think that's done. That it was really done well in that film. Do you find that doing costume design for television is better, easier, different than movies? I mean, is it the same job, or is it very, very different to do those? Well, it used to be very, very different. But now that so much is viewed on television and the producers and the directors, you know, of a, a television movie, they, you know, they think they're making God of the Wind. They, you know, it's got to be, you know, the greatest thing ever. And you're like, okay. But so now there used to be a big difference. Like if you look at like Dragnet episodes or, you know, one of the first, actually one of the first jobs I ever had was I worked on Dallas. Remember the, the television show? Really? Oh my God. And at that time, you know, you could be, it was, it was, that doesn't look like a movie. It looks like a television show. Mm -hmm. So things were much different mm -hmm. than, than they are now. And the lighting is very different. And, and now even like the most simple television shows are done like they try to be movies. They want to be a movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do say it's the golden age of television. I mean, and, and with Netflix oh. and with HBO and all of the, you know, the streaming channels now, it really has lines of blurred, you're right. And they, and they do it amazing, you know, television, it's amazing, the amount of work. And even when we did um, Hairspray, Hairspray Live, we put a lot of work into that and made all the clothes and, uh, oh my God, it was like a big to-do. And what that was live. Talk to me a little bit about your actual design process. Is it, do you do a lot of research? Do you do a lot of mood boards? Like, what's the, it's kind of a step-by-step, -step, like, just to give me an outline. Well, the first thing I do is I try to meet with the director to find out what kind of movie they're doing mm -hmm. because you could read a script and it can go in a lot of directions so if I could get the gist of what they're doing I can, I'll get that feeling of what they're doing and then I'll go and and work off that because I could have an interpretation of a, a script that's completely different from the director's vision and then I could end up doing a lot of work and wasting a lot of time doing my own thing and they're like yeah well that's not what I want so I try to find out because I always think of a film as like a pyramid with like the director at the top and so and everyone is like working within that you know what the directors the parameters of the director's vision that's the only way i can work unless you're working with a director who has no vision and wants you to like really come up with something which doesn't happen <laughs> I don't but it doesn't sound like that's something that you want i mean it sounds like that yeah. you like to have that direction that that kind of a you know the lead in the direction to go yeah and plus you know going back to the painting thing if you look at any good painting it's it looks like one thing you wouldn't take a piece of another painting and stick it in it. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's got one theme to it. And I, I think that's, that's important. Intentional. <laughs> Have you ever done that? I feel like I'm thinking about Crazy Rich Asians and I'm thinking about the scenes with the other family, not the, the one that she wants to, to marry into, but the other family, her best friend. So, yeah, so they, it feels like their clothing was anything but, you know, understated like there was intentionally trying to be loud and, and take the air from the room with their clothing almost to a certain extent exactly and i worked very closely with john chu the director on that because he had a this movie was very close to him and he had a very everything was very important 
to him on that. And so when we talked about the movie, he talked about the New York scenes first, and he felt they were like the Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. Like when Dorothy is in Kansas, everything is black, white, and gray, and sepia toned. And then when she goes to Oz, everything's in color. And he felt that that was the way when she was in New York, everything was more black, white, and gray. Then when they go to Singapore, suddenly it becomes in color. So we did all the New York scenes in black, white, and gray. And then the Singapore scenes are really bright. And everyone kept talking about fashion in the movie. Like the fashion, 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 fashion. But then when I talked to John, he always talked about the characters. So I thought, well, this is not just fashion for pretty, you know, it's got to mean something. It has to have, it has to have a story behind it. We had, the, uh, there was a novel it came from. So when I talked to John, I said, well, to get more character into the characters, maybe um, I need more information uh -huh. than in the script. And he said, well, you should talk to Kevin Kwan, the writer. Because Kevin, he's from Singapore. His family was from China. They immigrated from China. They, they were built, you know, he knows everything about the story because he wrote it. These are his characters. So I had a lot of conversations with Kevin about the characters. And then he talked a lot about old money and new money. And the old money were the young family that came from China and helped start Singapore. And they were the old money. And then the new money was Picklin's family. And they were, they came from nothing, but they were super rich now. And they just absolutely loved it. It's like they couldn't spend their money fast enough. And whereas the other family was like, they didn't want to look showy. But the Picklin family, they were like, you know, the showy is the better. And so you could really go over the top with them. And Aquafina, Nora, has like, she's another one like Bet, has a gigantic personality. There's nothing you can put on her that she couldn't because I know when I first put her in these pajamas and John was like what's that I said it's pajamas <laughs> he's like why <laughs> and I said well you know she can pull it off she can pull it off and of course when he saw her and her wig and, and she just you know she just makes everything work oh. and we, we just loved her so much she was so much fun we used to bring her in for fittings even when she didn't have fittings just because everyone loved having her around well, that's interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, That's the only actor I've ever done that with. Really? That's the only, yeah, only one. Because I, I imagine it must be a very intimate kind of experience in any case, getting, you know, doing, you know, those kind of tests tests of getting dressed and stuff like that and finding the character within the clothing. I know a lot of actors talk about finding the character in the clothing. Do you, have you seen that happen, you know, it, as you're doing those kind of scenes or, or, or those? Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it happens with everyone. And, and sometimes it's, and fittings aren't always great. I mean, a lot of times they're really horrible. And, you know, people are screaming and crying, you know, you ruined my life. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. No, it can be very dramatic. That's why I think it's really good to, to prepare before the actor comes in mm -hmm. so they know what they're getting into and that they're, they're contributing. Mm -hmm. And so they feel like it gets you and them and the director together doing this. It's not like me trying to push my ideas off on them. That doesn't work. That'll never happen. Then you can't like talk. And, and if you somehow do talk an actor into wearing something, it will always backfire on you. Always. Oh, yeah? Did you try that once? Yes. A long time ago. I didn't try. I, I had an actor who will be nameless who um, was, I thought they liked the costumes. And then when it came and I realized that it wasn't them that liked it. It was me that liked it. And so the day that comes to shoot the scene, they wouldn't come out of their trailer. And the AD says to me, what's going on? I said, I don't know. So it went in the trailer and the actor's in the bathroom throwing up. And I was like, oh my God, you don't like this outfit, do you? She was like, no. Oh. 
Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay. Powerful thing. What clothes you wear is a powerful thing. I mean, and then and and it's true that these people will be like the cat suit or whatever. You know, toujours, always toujours. I'm using French. Always linked to that those images, those that clothing. You know, forever on on film. So yeah, I can see why people would get nervous about it. And so that was really a great lesson because even sometimes when people will say particularly if they're not a big actor you know they're more like a feature play they might agree to something that they actually don't like and so you have to be really careful that that the actor does like it they're not just agreeing to something because the director likes it or you know the costume designer likes it or it's right for the scene i mean it's really important that the actor feels emotionally connected to whatever they're wearing and that it helps them it helps them to get out of the trailer and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that they feel good about going to the set. Yeah, because I think it's true. When you feel good in what you're wearing, it shows up, you know, on the street or on camera. I mean, you you know, when you feel good, you look good. Exactly. Yeah, so I always try to make sure that people are comfortable, that they're going to be happy with the outfit. And uh, and sometimes you can, even if an actor says, oh, yeah, I like this. You look at the pictures. Like, we always take a lot of pictures of fittings. And I look at the pictures and the body language is like, I don't think they like this costume. Interesting. Okay. And then I'll call and say, you know, are you sure that, you know, you're feeling good about that outfit? They go, well, I don't know, maybe not. And so I said, well, it's important that you feel good because, you know, I have no problem throwing something out. Even if we put a lot of work into something, you know, I have no problem throwing throwing things right in the trash heap. Even if we spent like a fortune and it was a lot of work. And It won't matter if it, they don't feel comfortable. Yeah. It will not matter. It's better that they do the scene in their bathroom than some gorgeous, you know, dress that you made for them because it's about them at the end. And as you say, the, this is going to be immortalized on film. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are going to be watching these things on other planets someday. <laughs> so, you know, and it's them up there. It's not me. Yeah. You know, it's them. So it's, uh, it's important that they're, they're happy and comfortable and confident. They feel that the outfit gives them confidence. Let's talk a little bit about your happiness. What do you want to be doing at this point in your career? Is there a challenge or a thing that you you really want to step up to the plate and try? Or are you is there a, a, a period or a director or a, something that you're like, you know, this is on my bucket list of something I want to get done, you know, in my career? You know, it's funny. I should think about the future like that, but I actually don't. <laughs> It's just that things are changing so much so fast. I mean, even with this whole, you know, I'm on the safety committee at the at the Costume Designers Guild and we're trying to figure out how in the world we're going to go back to work. So it's just that in the present, there's so much going on. It's actually hard to even think about the future. <laughs> and, and just even the way of working. And, you know, I never heard of Zoom of two months ago. And <laughs> just even the technology and, and men in black, Three, I think, you know, Men in Black 2 was the first time I started using computers and doing sketches on computers, and, and it's great. I mean, the, just the technology has changed things so much that it's just even keeping up with that is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So it's just... <laughs> I know I was researching one of, uh, when I was researching you, I was reading an article where you used this particular app to kind of chronicle who was wearing what in what scene and what the skew, the skew number was, skew was it for it, oh. and- and all of the different things. And I was like, I hadn't even thought of all of those different moving parts within. I'm like, okay, great clothes. But I hadn't thought that there was all of that as well that went into what you do. I mean, it's highly technical. It's not just, you know, it's the very idea. And depending on the film you're doing, like with um, The Old Guard, that was an action film. I mean, The Old Guard, The Old Guard and Hairspray Live had a lot in common because they were both, the, in Hairspray Live, they were dancing. In The Old Guard, they were fighting. 
and dancing and fighting are really, in terms of clothes, are pretty much the same. So you have to design clothes and make clothes and find clothes and that work for the action. Now that there's so much lycra and everything, it's really great to um, for clothes to stretch. But you have to put gussets in the crotch and gussets in the arms, and you have to make sure things are not going to rip. But there's a lot of technical things that go into the clothes. And in Crazy Rich Asians, we had this elaborate wedding dress that I made and I only made one of them because it was so expensive. And she, Sonoya, who played the bride, walks down an aisle of water. And it took her, it took an hour to get her into this dress. And the, the set was really far away from the dressing room. So, you know, one, it was only one dress anyway. So the dress had to be designed so if it got wet, it didn't hurt it or it didn't change the look of it. It would have to be like a waterproof dress. So That's when I make the dress, I had to do. <laughs> Well, when I made the dress, I tested all this fabric and put it in water and, and to see if the water would change the color. So we, the fabric had to had to like not change color. And certain silks, if you get them wet, they turn black practically. But so we found the fabric that, you know, even when it was wet, you couldn't tell. And then the whole skirt was lined in like a heavy net so that when it was wet, it wouldn't collapse. And the fact that Sonoya was a dancer, a ballerina, she was really super strong. Because and she needed to be because that dress when it was wet weighed a ton, an absolute ton. Well, and it was it looks effortless in the movie. Well, that was because Sonoya could walk in a soaking wet heavy dress that all the weight of the dress was in the back, so it was unbalanced. You know, normally a person would like fall over in that dress, but because she was so strong, she could do it. So it was a dress that worked for that actor and it would not work. Because like after that movie came out, people like would call me about, oh, I want to I want to wear that dress. And, my, and I was like, no, <laughs> you won't even be able to stand yeah, up in the yeah. dress. <laughs> because, yeah, because all the weight of the dress is in the back. So. Okay, let me ask you, I'm going to come to my five generic fashion questions to wrap this up. But before I do that, two quick questions. Every image of you pretty much on the internet is you wearing hot pink. Uh, you're not wearing hot pink now. I'm wearing it in honor of your hot pink. What is it about hot pink that you love so much? Because I know color is so important to you. So why do you love hot pink so much? I don't know. I have no idea. I was always being a big fan of Scaparelli, like Scaparelli pink always seemed like really exciting. But I don't know how I got into this pink thing. I think just things that I like happen to be pink, hot pink, particularly that shit. Yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't, it's not a plan. <laughs> if I look at my closet, there's a lot of pink and orange. It's like, there's no blue. I don't have one blue thing. Hmm. And I like blue, but I don't, I don't even have a pair of blue socks. I have like, nothing is blue. There's <laughs> something behind this color choices, I'm sure. Uh, any advice for somebody who wants to go into costume design now, who wants to follow in your footsteps? Yes, it's a great time to become a costume designer. Really? Because it's a great time, in spite of the craziness that's going on now. It's a great time because, as you said before, the golden age of television. And the television and movies are really good. I mean, and the people care about the clothes and clothes are really important on television. And there's so much of it. Oh my God. Well, I'm in the TV Academy and they send me you know, DVDs of everything. And I must have like 500 movies. So, And when you say 500 movies, each movie, employs like 200 people and a costume designer so there's a lot there's a lot of work out there for designers so it's actually like a, it's a really good job it's a good job it's fun but it's actually a job you could get hired for and have a career so it's you know it's not nothing it's, in this day and age 
Yeah. So you can actually go to school and get a job to pay for your like, you know, student loans afterwards <laughs> because, <laughs> because there is, um, there's a lot of work out there and it's very creative. And you have these directors now who have been to film school who are very artistic and have a vision. It's a, it's turned into, it's not that it wasn't artistic when I started out because they've always been great movies, but I think it's a really good time for people. They shouldn't worry about going into it that they're not going to work because you will, you will work. And you could be a costume designer, and if you decide you don't want to be a costume designer, you could be an assistant, and that's a great job. I know people that they have their whole career, they're just design assistants, and that's a really, that's a really great job. Why is or, being a design assistant a really great job? You would think you'd want to have the top spot. What's so great about being a design assistant? Well, when you have the top spot, you're in the direct line of fire. When you're the assistant, <laughs> you're not. And being an assistant is very creative. You know, it, it's a terrific job. You do the fabrics, you do the fittings, you do, you know, it's a great and then there's also the other side of it. You could be people who, there's a, tons of people that run the department, like costume supervisors and costumers and specialty costumers. And there's a lot of craft work, dyers. If anyone wants to be a dyer, that is, that is a great field to go into because there, there's not a lot of dyers and milliners. Milliners is another big hole, or people who you know sewers. And when I, when I was doing that fitting with um, a cutter from Versace, she wanted to get into being a cutter in movies. And I thought, well, that's great because they would love to have someone with, you know, your skill set in, in movies. Wow. So it's actually, you know, being the costume designer is great, but there's a lot of jobs in within the costume world that people could be very, you know, have a really great career in. But it's, but there's a lot being made now with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and then Warner Brothers and, you know, all the old favorites and Sony. But there's seems to, and then who knows that YouTube is going to be making movies probably. They may already. So no, there might be making movies soon. I mean, you know, it's everybody's. We'll <laughs> do it. You can make a movie right in your living room. <laughs> I know. I could. I could. All right. Let me ask you the five generic fashion questions so I can let you go. What is the favorite piece of clothing that you own, that in your own wardrobe, that you love above all others? I don't. I, I don't really have any favorites because I don't really get attached to stuff. Like you know, because I, I, you know, I, I can go to the Goodwill and like take everything, get rid of it all. Really? Yeah. No. I, you know, I say that, but it's impossible to do. But no, that's my question about your own clothing at all. That's so interesting. No, I don't. And, and I never have been really that interested because I've really been more interested in, in other people. And that, that's really what interests me more. I mean, I like, you know, I actually really do like what, what Halston used to do is just wear black, turn like a black pants all the time which is great. I love that idea. I think I'm going to adopt that. And, no, all and pink, all hot pink, hot, hot pink jumpsuit. Oh, yeah. No, I don't really get attached to clothes because I think of clothes as, you know, being on actors in movies and mm -hmm. yeah, I feel very separated from it. A lot of people don't have a lot of money to invest in clothing or, so if there was one piece that you would say that every man or woman should really put their money into an investment piece, what would that be in your opinion? Well, I think like a really, a good suit is good, like a, either a pantsuit or a, a dress suit or a skirt suit that's always good because it's a couple pieces that you can mix like you could take a pantsuit and mix it with a like a beautiful blouse and do an evening thing or you can put it with a t-shirt and do a day thing mm -hmm. and then it's and you can like if you had like five pieces like a, a skirt pants and a, a jacket with two different blouses I mean, you don't need any more clothes. You know, a couple of, you know, high heels, sneakers, and boots, and it's like, it's over. You know, you <laughs> and now as people will probably be going, buying less and less, it's probably the, the smart way to, to go as far as investment is concerned. Well, and that's one of the things that I was very impressed when I 
the couple of times I was in Paris, like people are so super chic. And you could be super chic on like a really small amount of money with a few good pieces. Mm-hmm. Like if you invested even in a secondhand Chanel jacket, I mean, you could have that for 20 years. Yep. That's what I do. I have pieces I bought on at the Hermes, you know, press sale. I've had them 15, 20 years. They don't move because they're such good quality and they're evergreen shapes and style. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say to, for people to do that and not buy disposable clothes unless, unless you don't care about them. So, but if people want to keep things and save money, you don't save money buying cheap clothes. I think you save money buying expensive clothes. And even if you could buy expensive clothes secondhand, it doesn't have to be brand new because they, you know, it's like I have a secondhand Vitamix. My Vitamix will last forever. Like if something is well made, it will it will really last a long time. So I don't think you save money buying cheap clothes. I agree. All right. Second to last question is, what trend will you never follow? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really follow trends. But um, I don't know what what. Give me an example of a trend. I don't know. I've had some people say they'll never they'll never you know wear hot pants or they'll never you know never wear a hat or they'll never. I don't know, wear fur, I don't know. Well, since I feel personally, I'll put anything on. <laughs> so, so um, I don't know, I, I have very simple, very simple taste in clothes. I don't know that I would really follow trends, but, you know, I think people, clothes really cheer people up. And I think whatever cheers them up and makes them happy, they should do it. Even if it's like, you know, putting a plant on your head. It's like, it doesn't, you know, because I worked on one movie where there was a person on the movie that, dressed in like really crazy clothes to the point where other people in the crew and the producer said to me, you need to talk to that person and tell them not to, to wear those clothes. And I said, well, that's crazy because they, what do you care what they wear? Because that, that outfit, you know, whereas it may not be visually attractive to you, for some reason that makes them happy. It's a personal statement. So what does it have to do with anybody else? So I think that whatever makes you feel good is what you should wear, depending on who, what anyone else cares about it. Because it doesn't matter what anyone else cares. It's what makes you happy. I totally agree. Um, okay, last question. What do you love most about fashion? I, I think with fashion, with like couture fashion, I really respect it so much because it's so gorgeous. And we had um, a couple really beautiful couture pieces on Crazy Rich Asians, and they were like museum pieces. Mm-hmm. They were just so beautiful. And um, and I, I think that like, that's why couture is so important because it really sets a mood and a stage and a quality that um, that's, that's really art, beautiful artwork. I mean, I really appreciate the art form of it. And you look at the, you go to museums and you look at these Dior dresses and these, you know, Alexander Queen, and all this stuff is just gorgeous. And you could have like, you could take one dress or one object from one of these shows and you can do like a whole collection. I could do a whole movie over like one Alexander McQueen dress. Uh-huh. In fact, I always try to have like one Alexander McQueen dress in any movie I do. <laughs> just as like a good luck piece but because I think his clothes are so gorgeous but I think it, it, I think fashion inspires people and I think I think I like the in the aspiration of it and right. the art with great amazing artwork and couture it is it is an art form in my opinion Mary thank you so much this is just talking to you thank you thank you okay bye bye don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.